Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So welcome to another episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. Um, today we have Adrian Jay joining us. Um, he's experienced as a data protection officer for over 600 dental practices, both corporate and independently owned. Amazing, so long. to be honest. Uh, he's investigated hundreds of data breaches, overseen thousands of record requests, and support practices through ICO, GDC, CQC, NHS, and police investigations relating to personal data. He's undoubtedly the leading dental GDPR expert in the UK with a mission to empower dental professionals so they have the right level of knowledge and support to meet their level of responsibility, which is what we're going to chat about today. Previously was a teacher in a prestigious international school looking after celebrities and diplomats' kids, which would be an interesting conversation. Also worked as an IT engineer for the police. He's a musician, a singer, a songwriter and a COVID survivor. So welcome, Adrian Dre. Yeah, yeah welcome, you? Adrian. Thank you. Yeah, we can add that one after I said that to you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What a, what, what a repertoire of things that you've weaved through. I'm so, largely disappointed that you couldn't get a, uh, a, le- a lot of letters for police investigation relating to personal data after ICO, GDC and CQC and NHS. We R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, forgot to, I forgot to put in part-time assassin and male model. Um, <laughs> exactly. That, that's a whole other podcast channel. Yeah, yeah, they're full of theory. Cosimodo, more like. So, um, the, the, so give, us your, give us your background in terms of what was it like being Adrian Dre growing up and, and how you got yourself into the world of work? Well, what would that look like as a young man? Um, yes, I'm, in, I'm born and bred uh, in Devon, in the southwest. I'm in the house I was brought up in now. Um, oh, really? Just off the yeah, just um, um, on the outskirts of, outskirts of Dartmoor. So from my office, I can see um, the moors, which you know it was it was nice. I'm not your typical agricultural kind of guy. You know, these are <laughs> these monies, are, these hands are quite soft. Probably got softer hands than my wife, um, to be honest. And, um, At least you can't see the prison. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. That is true. Hopefully they can't see me either. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I'm, I was very much, from, for up until I was 23, very, very used to probably a small town mentality. Um, the way things were, my, my, my parents are quite old, so... It came to a point where even though we had quite a sort of a good background, upbringing, you know, private school, that kind of thing, I needed to get out to work like from 16 straight away. So that was like learn a trade, you know, that kind of stuff. I was out when I was 14, you know, I was in the armed service, all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, times have changed, Dad, but okay, I feel you. Because I needed help, you know, he's retired and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and I just went into it. My, my family are salespeople. I didn't want to be a salesman. Um, they're not they're not the sort of slimy salespeople at all. I just didn't want to, I wanted to be the black sheep, a typical teenager, really. Um, so I joined a local firm. But anyway, I'll speed it up for you as much as I started working for the police, um, then got into a telecom, was a telecom engineer, and we're working with um, special branch, so anti-terrorism. Oh, we're right. involved in a lot of operations with that. You get a phone call, you got you there's offices all Is that around. Your IT? Is that the IT bit, Adrian? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's 
the, the thing was is that it was the kind of knowledge that I had with police bespoke IT systems, right? So outside of that, I didn't really have the fundamental contextual knowledge to go and like, oh, I'll go into another IT job. Yeah. Um, but I got to a point when I was 23 and I'm actually, I'm a, I rarely sort of admit this really. Um, the reason I moved abroad was because I was seeing so much disturbing stuff um, working with the police. And I mean, you know, this is when like uh, after the 7-7 attacks, you know, mm-hmm. and where there was a terrorist attack in Exeter and you realise that the, the press they have a very limited view of exact, actually what's going on. You, know, you mm. have to sign a secrecy act and all this kind of stuff. And you like, I was like, I can't take this anymore. I was 22, 23. And I was like, I've got to get out of here. And all my other mates, they'd gone to Australia and America for a year and this kind of stuff. And I thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Europe, Scandinavia, give it a go for six months. And I thought I'll get a telecoms job over there. Cause it's, yeah, it's the capital of telecommunications with Ericsson and that kind of yeah. thing. So um, went there, thought, give it a go for six months. Which country um, did you go to, Adrian? Uh, St- uh, Sweden. Sweden, Stockholm. right. Can't speak a word of Swedish, but their English is better than ours. So <laughs> I didn't really know. <laughs> I could say hello and goodbye, and that's about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, became a love refugee <laughs> and um, Swedish girl, and I sort of stayed there, but I had this job. I don't know how I landed it. Um, I started off as a substitute teacher at this international school, which was so much fun. So perhaps um, that thing about you you not necessarily you know, being the black sheep of the family, not a particularly good salesperson, we might have to disagree because you yeah. actually sold yourself into a job that perhaps you weren't equipped for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I left, there was that desperate. I remember the first substitute lesson I had. Unless they were that desperate. <laughs> <laughs> Talk yourself down, though, yeah, That's really. what I like. Yeah, do. Um, yeah. So I remember the first job, considering that this school, right, the, the makeup of the school were celebrity kids, Swedish celebrities. I mean, it's very prestigious, the upper echelon of society's children ambassadors, dignitaries, kids, that kind of thing. We've gone to this very prestigious international school in, in the, the most prestigious one in the country. And my first um, my first uh, lesson or whatever you want to call it was to take 30 kids by myself, right? Swimming, <laughs> swimming lessons. Some of which have never been in a body of water bigger than a bar, right? <laughs> so I remember the one that jumped off in the, in the deep end, very excited, not, not being able to make it. I'm like putting my hand in trying to drag him out, right? I'm thinking, hey, what though? 17 pound an hour ain't bad for this. <laughs> anyway, no one died. Um, but Which is a really important lesson, yeah, isn't yeah. That, 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 for, I mean, for you and for the kids involved. That's that's the right result. Right result. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, but the, after a few years of that, it was it. I got sort of more involved, giving my own lessons. It, it, unfortunately, there's a change in law where you actually had to be at, a teacher in international schools. You had to be a, like a, a qualified teacher right. in Sweden. You know, learning actually Swedish. What you know, lessons did you teach? So my main ones were English literature. Um, Music, a little bit, a little bit of music for the, for the little uh, kids. Yeah, I'm not the, very good. The songwriter, you know, musician bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm rubbish with theory. Um, um, PE, <laughs> um, even though I'm not that great with that. Um, and what was the other one? Um, history. History is my was my main one. Um, but I was sort of given a. I called the Lost Boys, all those boys and girls. 
I was given a small group to take out classes. Down. Either these kids were either had sort of behavioural issues, but not so much where they needed in someone who was you know a professional in that particular. Basically, they were very, very, very well-off kids who earned more in pocket money, you know, in a week than I did in a month's salary. Yeah, you know, fifteen-year-old different world, kid. different world. So yeah, they they didn't really care about stuff, but they needed to graduate. So I kind of teachers had given up on them. So I had to sort of get them there mm. somehow in a smaller group, and I managed to do it. And I've got ones now that are sort of chefs. One's a chef in Turkey, got a couple of restaurants. The other one. Plays for the NFL in America. Well, this um, sounds a bit like School of Rock with Jack Black. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Seeing, I'm seeing a Jack Black type character with these waifs and strays and herding oh, yeah. cats and all these kids going on to do these amazingly successful things and you just like strolling out with some dazzling yeah. waistcoat on and getting yeah. in some old 50-year-old American car and just dressing off. Yeah, and I'll become a GDPR consultant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not quite the Jack Black Hollywood ending. No, 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 it's not <laughs> This little field, is it? Um, come down, really. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to call it entering my thirties. <laughs> so, um, but what, I'll tell you a very, very quick story. Let's make you laugh. So, I was thinking about this today. Actually, is that um, I took the kids out to um, a with a couple of other teachers to a sort of science museum. Um, in Stockholm and um, had a load of kids now one, part of the, one of the exhibits was sort of like mining in Sweden kind of thing I thought I'll go down have a look at it and I thought well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll tend to come down and I'll hide behind a piece of machinery and I'll jump out and go boom right anyway this already has a imagine remember the wake up of the children right <laughs> <laughs> so unbeknownst to me the first one to come around the corner I can't say, say his name but his his um his dad was the ambassador for a Middle Eastern country, and he had his own security detail, <laughs> undercover, arms people. And I, I sometimes saw him, sometimes didn't. Anyway, I jump out and go, boo. He shouts something out and then quickly throws himself on me in and shouts something different. And I was like, um, we'll call him Ali for just for, for example. What did you say, Ali? What did you say? He's like, I said, was that, did you just do a kill order on that? <laughs> like, you're like, yeah, pretty much. It's okay. They, they, like, it's, it stopped. It's stopped now. I was like, that's Wow. So, so, yeah. so, 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 so you behave yourself after that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I realised I could be sort of messing with Mossa, then I thought, yeah, probably. <laughs> Given that this podcast is, is pointing towards the dental profession, people yeah, now are six or seven minutes in thinking... I've tuned in, surely I'm on the wrong channel. This is the wrong <laughs> episode. So there has to be a point where you're jumping out from behind machinery and scaring diplomats. You're always getting shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. you, you managed to escape your life to somehow you fell into the world of dentistry. What, well, was, that, what was that segue looking like? Well, I'll do, because you know what I'm like, Andy, king of context, if you can see after the last seven minutes of um, <laughs> But um, basically, I, I had to come back to, to the UK. My, my parents were very old. It was a good call, actually. It's a couple of years later, my dad unfortunately passed away and I was able to nurse him because we live out in the middle of the sticks. There's no one here to do it. Um, whilst that was quite difficult, it was quite you know, privileged to be able to do that for him. Um, man, he's quite, you know... Uh, I can't you quite what's it called sort of a, I wouldn't say posh but you know he, he wouldn't he wouldn't do well in the hospital with someone more sort yeah. of washing was like, probably rather something, something like me doing it yeah. and um, um, 
yeah, so I had to come back to England. And the thing was, I, I just felt like I've got to look at something else. Like I've got this background and I've got my contacts and that kind of thing. Um, and I'd actually been a victim of a data breach myself. Um, oh, when I okay. came back to, yeah, as part of the, the LinkedIn data breach. And I was really, really annoyed about it. And then the car phone warehouse went off, oh, for goodness sake. And then GDPR is coming up. And I'm thinking, this is a big thing, but it's so boring. Such a boring, dry, who could bear its subject. Really? I thought, that's what I've done in, in Sweden, in Stockholm. I've taken these very these concepts, which are quite boring, and try to, try to put it in a way, frame it in a way, where individuals who are quite reluctant to it, teenagers, to get to a point where I wouldn't say they're in, enjoying it, but they're at least putting their thought and putting some actions behind it and that kind of thing. So I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to throw myself into this. I've got quite an obsessive personality in terms of learning. And I just read, um, read and watched every webinar under the sun that came to it. And I fell into dentistry because um, I didn't really like, I was off LinkedIn after data breach. And there was some sort of professional Facebook groups and there was GDPR for dentists, which is run by, um, Derek Utenbrook of Ignite Growth yeah. Marketing. Mm-hmm. And so Derek is a GDPR practitioner like me, and he worked for one of the big banks for their GDPR sort of um, uh, setup, basically, readiness program. Um, and it started off about 280 people. And by the time we closed the group, I think it was about 4,000 people that oh. were there. Um, Peter ran it as well. Um, and we were able to basically take these questions and try to work through a lot of the misinformation that was coming through mm. and we we're doing Facebook lives and that kind of stuff. And I tell you what, that is the best way to learn when people throw these questions out to you. Yeah. You've got to research it, yeah. right? Even though you're not giving them formal advice. Mm. But also it proves um, it was a topic of interest. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And at this time as well, I'm, I'm a GDPR consultant that's working for um, a consultancy um, based in um, Herefordshire. And um, it, I, I really enjoyed it. And I've made some really good friends in dentistry just from off the back of that group. Uh, then it came up that there was a, a role for the data protection officer at, um, at IDH, my dentist. And I thought, well, let's go for it. Because I've started to realise, as you probably yourselves have got this as well, is that some, there's some professions where people say they're experts in dentistry. They're not dentists, but to consult on this particular thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you just slap dentistry, dental in front of it and charging a dental tax, right? Mm. And then there's some areas where actually you do need to know the ins mm. and outs of the industry yeah. mm. to really show how this particular subject works. You can't just slap dental on it yeah. and think, oh, I'll charge double. You really have to live and breathe dentistry, not to a point where you can start doing fillings, but you need to know the business of yeah. dentistry mm. to be able to apply this stuff properly. And that's what got me the job at my dentist um and that was 600 practices i actually looked after more practices than any other data mm. protection officer in the country but the difference co- between yeah and, and the difference between watching webinars learning the theory and physically on a daily basis dealing mm. with the needs of 600 practices um, several thousand people um hundreds of thousands of patients your your knowledge and learning just skyrockets doesn't it because like i say there's a difference between understanding the the theory of what something does and then actually then needing to apply it in a real situation we all do that don't we i know we all learn in different ways but i know from my own experience if i learn something and can apply it within a short period of time you know a day or two it really sticks so your knowledge and learning must have just come on at such a pace looking after so many practices 
Absolutely. And it was, you know, it was stressful. Every data protection officer finds their job stressful. And whilst they are have a level of protection, they're not actually liable if things go wrong. You still feel that responsibility, that accountability, because you are the advisor, you're the contact point. And like you said, for so many people, but it was extremely valuable. I worked in the legal team at my dentist, fantastic friends in there. People I really look up to this to this day, learned so much of them regarding greater risks which are presented to dentistry that are outside of data protection. Mm. But because personal data is everywhere, mm. is ev- in every corner of dentistry, I had to I had to learn every corner of dentistry. I suppose dentists just don't think about it, do they? It's just like no, no, no it's not something that would be. Well, we find it sometimes, don't you? You'll ask for I don't know information, and they'll send you information. It's like you shouldn't really have sent us this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, please, we don't want it. Can you have it back again? We just want numbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think data hit me. I watched that that program on Netflix, Social Dilemma, mm, and yeah. that kind of talked about the number of data points out there and how much data we volunteered and shared on ourselves and how now because of kind of this kind of digital matrix of information how it joins up mm. and how people learn so much about about people and it's incredible and, and the, the weirdness is that we volunteer most of this information we make it publicly yeah. available ourselves um so yeah. the, 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 you know we're, we're almost kind of the the, the greatest breach ourselves yeah, by just giving away valuable information isn't that yeah. what they say there? The biggest issue with any security system or any data is the human. Because <laughs> they're the ones yeah, exactly. who and and will mess it up. And that can be the consumer. I mean, that's the thing. If something's free, you know, you are the, you're the product. If, if you, you're give, like Facebook, you're giving away your data. That's the contractual agreement mm. yeah, that they're right. allowed to target to you within their environment. Yeah. They're going to take all these different yeah. behavioral activities. You can't stop it. But, also, that's, stop but it, that's how it commercially works. Facebook. But that's how it commercially yeah. works. We give them their own information. They can then turn it into a package and sell it to sponsors and, and exploit it for commercial mm. gain. Um, and like I say, it's amazing that we do it willingly on the basis. And it, it's funny how it's presented as a social network because we can stay in touch with people and we can communicate and we can share pictures. Mm. But actually all the time, you're just providing more and more data points on how you live your life, what you buy, what you don't like, who your friends are, what, who's your football team, who you might vote for. Who and all that just gets packaged up. Stuff. Yeah. And, and if you look at Google and, you know, Facebook, you know, they're bigger than some oil companies that have been around for decades. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're run by people in their 30s. Yeah. You know, yeah. we the founders. Yeah, incredible. So it's, it is, it's an incredible thing. But I think actually when we do reflect on that, it's quite good because often when we think of data protection, albeit on the, on the face of it, it does seem to be a dry subject. Mm. I have to admit that. But actually, that's my selling point because I'm able, hopefully, well, no, I will say it, I can. No, you um, do. Break, you make it colourful. I was that. going to say, you make it. And I think with most things, it's kind of the how you go about it. I'm sure there's 90% of people that talk about this. And by now, we'd have probably had some tech problem. I'm going to cut you off because <laughs> yeah. we'd be bored. We'd be bored. Whereas you do bring colour to it. You do bring colour to it. You just got two of these things because it is important. And, and you know, as we were talking about social media, we are you know, we are watching these documentaries. They are mm. emotive. We are thinking about ourselves and our own privacy and our kids and the next generation and that kind of thing. We never did that before because it wasn't really an issue. Mm. But it mm. does show actually that data protection legislation is is a back, is a is a, a a mixture of privacy and security. So the privacy is being like, can we actually do this? Should we be collecting this data? Should we be using it for this purpose? Should we be sharing it? Should we be keeping it for that long? All these sorts of things. Yeah. 
And the security side actually of GDPR is quite minimal. It's mm. about, well, don't get hacked. You know, maintain the integrity, confidentiality, and availability of data. But that's you, that, it's, it's actually a small sliver mm. of the wider thing. Mm. But the privacy thing is actually really, really important because the vast majority of complaints that I see that hit dental practices are where patients are concerned around the privacy or privacy. My wife tells me often I say privacy. The privacy <laughs> of their data. You know, why it's being used. Why are you asking me how much to drink or smoke? You know, I'm going to go to the ICO about that, all this sort of stuff. But uh, it's, okay. it's quite sobering to know that the, those two different things. And yeah, actually, yeah. This, this bit is... Actually, when you get under the skin of it, it's quite fascinating because you start applying, think about your own life and thinking, why are they asking me that, at, you know, when I go and go yeah. to that particular organisation? Mm. What are they going to do with that yeah. data? Before we get into the, 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 the data knowledge and responsibility bit, um, just talk me through. So you were working for my dentist and then yeah. th there may have been bits in between, but then you decided to step out on your own, um, use your skills, your experience and set up your own business. Uh, is, is there is there family history in entrepreneurship and, and being business owners? What what kind of drew you down that path where you wanted to have your own your own gig? Yeah, um, so my, I mean my my dad um, is a well, so it was um, had his own business, was an entrepreneur. Um, his his story, the, the sort of the sixty second version was he. In the 50s, he moved to Canada with about $30. It's like easy to emigrate there. Worked in this um, uh, mine, uranium mine in the middle of the Rockies. <laughs> got really sick, got broke. But had an opportunity to go down to Mexico with his mates, jumped in the car, last bit of money to his name. Ended up becoming a professional gambler, a... Um, <laughs> A, pro, a con man came oh. back to the came back to the UK to Brighton to, as as a millionaire. Effectively, he had you know um, sports cars and penthouse apartments on Brighton Beach by the Grand Hotel, this kind of thing. Wow! And he set up his own business, um, a door to door salesman, um, had loads of, across the country selling Hoovers or vacuum cleaners. Right? Wow! Um, so he he kind of learned it in a very very weird bizarre way and yeah. a fantastic salesman um but then you know my dad got to a point where actually he didn't like that side of it but still wanted to be an own, his own businessman um and be able to help people and we have this you know, nice family six-bedroom home um in, in in um in the middle of devon uh on which he <laughs> for 35 years my mum and i um sold three-piece weights sofas as simple as that but you know what I, rarely did someone walk in this house and not buy a sofa off them because mm. DFS, all these kind of places, and they do it because they, they were fantastically kind to people, very persuasive, um, built up trust and this kind of thing. And to be honest, when I was speaking to my mum, uh, my grandfather, his father had that same kind of attitude as well. Weren't these sleazy salespeople? Whilst my dad had this con man <laughs> background to him, he, he made a vow to him never to apply those manipulation mm. tactics ever again. And he, ne and he never did. Um, so yeah, there is a little bit of a colourful, colourful history yeah. there. This is um, not a nice Didn't want to do it. Do it. Didn't want to be a business owner until I started getting the calls last year. Sometimes two o'clock in the morning, people have my number who had had a data breach, had a complaint. Oh. Principals that are in tears, thought they were going to lose everything. You know, they called up one of the compliance solution providers. Oh yeah, that, that's a seventeen million pound fine for that. No, it's not. What? You know, so it's. It's things like this which made me think, actually, I want to get back to helping independent practices because actually they are the prime target 
for a mm. lot of nastiness mm. at the moment, which we'll go into in a bit, a bit later. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you, you kind of, um, you didn't fall into it, but you did have kind of that history and that push that, that pointed you in the right direction. And it just yeah. felt, it felt the right, the right thing to do. So, at the moment within dentistry, is, is there a, a disconnect in dentistry and, and, and the wider profession between that kind of knowledge of, of data and what you do with it and how it should be managed safely? Is, is there a case where people are saying, well, I know I have all this information, but I'm not entirely sure how it should be managed? Is, is that something that, that we've moved away from people are now much better at understanding how they should be managing it or are we still early days? It's it's a difficult one to say. I would say if you put a gun to my head and it was a yes or no, I would say yes, there is a big disconnect. Right. But I would not I don't want to blame the dentist for that. And I'm not just saying that because they're my potential clients. <laughs> I'm just saying that because a lot of a lot of industries have the same thing. Um the GDPR was built um on upon accountability, upon a top-down approach. And the issues is, is that it was rushed through so quickly mm. that there wasn't enough time for the leadership teams of organizations to really understand what was going on. Or like anything compliance, well, most things compliance-wise in a in a dental practice, it falls on the shoulders of a practice manager, of which there's a high turnover. Mm. So that that information, that can that contextual information is not being is not landing with the ones who are actually accountable for it, the ones yeah. who can you can get in a lot of big trouble for it. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily their fault. I would say that at the time, and what my main thing was to try battle against, there's so much misinformation, more than any other sector that I've ever worked for was in dentistry. It's interesting. And it was kind of like, it won't affect us. Don't worry, guys, it'll be fine. Just you know, update your privacy notice. It's basically what we've done before. You know, Bob's your uncle, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Wow, and the reality is that's not the case. Mm. So hmm. I, I've probably got a fair idea what the answer to this is, but how do most people react when there's a patient complaint about how their data has been used? What is the typical reaction from a practice? Emotional. Hmm. As with any, any first thing with a complaint, or if you get a bad Google review, you know, it's like someone's spat at you. You know, it's, it's not a nice thing because you work so hard you got all these things going on and you think, why do we, you know, why do we deserve this? Yeah. What, what the, the problem that we've got with, with data protection complaints is often they're weaved into other complaints like um, clinical complaints or your receptionist is very rude. And you just got those, you just got those patients that just throw everything at you and another thing and another thing. But the issue is with it, and which is why, you know, practices have to be particularly careful is if someone knows their stuff, they'll do this on purpose. They'll try and bait you by putting a complaint in among a load of wider things for you to probably forget about or ignore or not think it's important. And actually, you have statutory one month to respond to a data protection complaint. And there's certain things that you, have to, you have to put in your response. And they're really, really important, particularly when you're looking to sell the practice. Mm. One thing I ask for due diligence is like, show me any data protection complaints you've had. I'm not talking about stuff that went to the ICO, like that actually came to you. So, that, so that month's limitation, I guess that's quite important to recognise. So if people get, get a complaint, what should they do? What are the top few things, if that comes in, should they do? Because obviously, clearly, you don't want to be an ostrich and just put your head in the sand. You probably don't yeah. want to, to go back kind of, you know, in an emotional state, which is never a great time to, to start a conversation. But what, what are the few things they should do to get themselves going? 
Well, the, the first thing to do is, is extract it from the wider complaint if it is part of one. And then the next thing is to see is, is this actually the evidence of a data breach? Now, a data breach is a security incident where data has been you know, sent to the wrong person or it's been deleted by mistake or that kind of thing. Because if it's a data breach, you haven't got a one month time period. You've got 72, potentially 72 hours to report it to oh, the wow. ICO. Oh, okay. So you've got to have it. Now, but I would say that majority of that practices actually don't really know what the definition of a data breach is. They think mm -hmm. anything that's, that's wrong about data is a data breach. Actually, it's, it's, it's just that security incident mm -hmm. side of things. Now, if it's something that is more about the way that data is being used, so the privacy side of things, so for example, the practice failed to respond to a record request or a subject access request, then you do have one month to respond to that. And it's about being calm. It's about getting doing your investigation, documenting what you've got. Um, and what the really important thing is, is be, be remember who might be seeing, who might be the recipient of this, of this complaint or your response. It could be the ICO. So you've got to really be careful of what you put in there and always, always, always at the bottom of your response to your complaint, give them an opportunity or tell them they're dissatisfied with your response that they can complain to the ICO. A little bit like with FCA stuff that sometimes, yeah. you know, we see. Out of so, interest, AJ, can I just ask a real quickie one? And it might yeah, be a yeah, real yeah. obvious one, but it wasn't to me, so I'm a bit thick. So 72 hours. If it was a Friday, does that include a weekend or is it 72 hours like business hours? It includes the weekends. Oh, wow. And, so, and day breaches love to happen on I said, so, so if on someone's Friday. really smart, they'll do it at 5 p.m. Yes. on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Wow. And, and wow. that wow. starts when the, when the organization becomes aware of the breach, right? So that's why you have to make sure your whole team knows what, knows to do with what it. the yeah. data breach is. Because the clock really time. is ticking, isn't it? Five o'clock. Then yeah. by the time you come to Monday, if that's the first time you've really, you've only got that day to sort it out. Really. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, the ICO are expecting you to know every corner of your investigation. And, you know, I, I will say this. I have missed the 72 hours because maybe there's been three or four data breaches that have happened in the same time. But three of them were actually seem to be the most important ones, but they were just red herrings. Actually, it wasn't a data breach. Right. And the one I thought, oh, we'll put that on number four, happened to be one. Right. <laughs> and, you know, the, the ICO would understand that. Um, if you have to explain it. Mm. Um, but where, where, what the big issue is, is where a receptionist has had like a phone call from someone who says, you know, you've, you've attached my medical history form to your email newsletter that's gone out to 20,000 people. Um, and then they, they tell the practice manager when they come back from holiday two weeks later. Does that seriously happen? Yeah. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Which so, I, we, uh, and, and now I suppose that comes down to the, uh, how do you stay safe? Is it is it good systems or well-trained people? Or is it a case of one doesn't work without the other? I think given the facts that of the... <laughs> Of the privacy it's and crazy. security. Nuts. I'm still, I'm still yeah. laughing. At, well, laughing is not quite the right word. But I, I said, do you know I, what? I, I, I wouldn't say I've exaggerated on the 20,000. But even if but you sent it to 500 people, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. I just Thank, nuts. Thankfully, there wasn't much information on there, but it wasn't it wasn't great. No. Um, that was an independent practice as well. Um, so the... Uh, what I would say, Andy, is because, of, because the human element is such a big thing 
from, from privacy and security infringements, security being the data breach side of things, I would prioritize the training side of things. Right, yeah. So, um, so for example, you know, that's something I'm, I'm working on to make sure there's, there's probably decent training out there that's actually, that people are going to digest as relevant and for dental scenarios. But the, the other thing is, from a security perspective, looking at sort of the hacker's arbitrage, the, 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 the risk profile that, that exists now for dental practices, I would say is make sure your data is backed up correctly. And to give you an illustration of this, if you've got you know, you're at home, there's been a spate of burglaries in the area, um, the, probably the first thing you're going to do is find out well, where, where's all your jewellery and make sure that's either in a safe or it's in a safety deposit box at the bank. That's not going to be the first thing you do because that's the thing. If someone broke in, you're going to rush and have a look, mm -hmm. oh, you know, are my wife's pearls or whatever, diamond wops or whatever it might be, are they, are they safe? So making sure your data is backed up correctly is the, is the priority thing because if someone manages to breach your systems and they can use very sophisticated attacks, what they're going to want to do primarily is deploy ransomware, which is to encrypt all of your data, including your backups. And the vast majority of practices, that's a really easy thing to do. A teenager with a couple of days hacking experience could take down dental practice. Yeah, well, so and, and, and I think sadly, I think in dentistry, I think dental practices are starting to become targets because mm, I think yeah. they obviously hold a fair amount of sensitive information and data, and they're wealthy. And well, and I, I think if you get your price point right, mm. um, you know, you can probably get someone to pay ten, twenty thousand pounds because oh. they just want it to go away. But that's 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 a significant sum of money to get something back that was yours twenty four hours ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and this is what's happening in America. You know, I'm working with a firm out there to to, to educate dentists in the states. Um, regarding you know ransomware and these these sort of basic things, um, they had a, a massive breach or ransomware attack. It took out four hundred practices um, in one day, wow. lost all their data. Yeah, um, there's another independent practice out there that's lost their data as well. I think they're like years worth of data because they hadn't checked their backup. Mm. Can't sell the practice. Can't sell it. No one wants to buy it because you know they, they're the same here. They've got this litigious society over there they need that data or mm. there's been there's so many complaints it's just a, it's a data landmine that no one wants it so yeah. i think you make sure that your, your your backups are off-site cloud you know they're monitored correctly that sort of thing um is is really really important but shop around you know don't get mugged off with the dental tax with these things um, you know, make sure you, you're finding something which is is, is going to be resilient and works for you and, mm. and is affordable, and which they are now. But the, the old days of just doing it locally, I'll back up to a USB drive. I mean, you just it, it's like putting those those jewels in a paper bag. Yeah, yeah. And and would you say that dental practices in the profession are generally quite good? Uh, having those those systems in place because you were saying that that training's great, but you end up potentially with the you know well trained people, but no systems to support them. So a, a dentist is quite good at, at contracting in those services to make sure they've got that that underpinning to support their team. I would. It's a bit of a mixed bag. I know one of the I won't name names, but I know one of the IT consultants. This is a, this is a good example. 
It will only take on practices that ensure that they have cloud backups, monitored backups. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's a very good way to do it. He probably says goodbye to a lot of business or perhaps he picks up business because that's his stand on things or that's their company stand on things. And I think that's that's the right way to be. The issue that you've got is that I suppose we've all been burnt. You know, the, the millennium bug thing, even though it's 21 years ago, is that people still think that this new IT thing is a bit of, you know, it's snake oil. And that, yeah, I would agree. There's a lot of stuff out there that is snake oil, but having proper backups is not, mm. is not snake oil at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a difficult one to answer, mm. Andy. It's, 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 it's a, there's a mixed bag out there, unfortunately. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought that dangerous use that different from lots of other industries, no. professions. Um, there'll be some, some, you'll get some people who take it, you know, incredibly seriously and have all that's necessary. Mm. You'll then have a massive bundle in the middle that are doing their best and it's, it's okay, but it's not gold standard. And then you probably have outliers at the other hand um, that it's a bit sketchy and they probably need to get their house in order. A lot of people yeah. probably just don't think their data's worth it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I imagine, oh, it's not worth it. No one would come for me, but yeah. they do because, in effect, they're probably the ones that are most vulnerable and might be yeah. up for having to pay some money. But whilst it's a business one, this, from your experience, what about personal data? Are there things that we as individuals can do, could do, should do that perhaps we're not doing to make sure that our own personal data stays safe? As, as in, like, like my my own bank yeah, details. Yeah, just yeah, just yeah. Uh, because like I say, this is your world. So you probably see where people slide through these cracks. And are there things that as individuals we could we could be doing to keep ourselves safer? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, passwords are a big are a big one. Do you um, cash? Only if you ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just carry gold with me. Shave a little piece off. There you go, sir. Yeah. Here's my go off, is my answer. <laughs> um, um, no, I, I would say that your passwords are really important um, to make sure that they are that they're complex and also making sure you have something which is called two-factor authentication, some of your main account, like your email, your bank, eBay. That kind of thing. What what that means, that two-factor, also called multi-factor authentication, it means that when you log into that particular account, you need a, another code to put in afterwards. Mm-hmm. So it could be a text message, some kind of authentic, other authentication. And what it means is that if your account details get compromised, then what, what, it, what happens is a hacker will take that. They'll buy your username and password. They'll chuck it in a box They'll deploy it out into the internet and they'll check all the main systems to see if they can actually get through. Now, eBay and LinkedIn and all this kind of stuff should be detecting this stuff, but they still manage to get through. So 99% of the compromised mail accounts uh, that belong to Microsoft, so Office 365, so 99% of them, could have those attacks could have been prevented had people have had two-factor authentication in place. Right. So it's really, really important that you have that. Um, you can check out the strength of your password as well. If you go into Google and you put in password strength tester or whatever it might be, don't put your actual password in there. I will stress that. But put a variation of it. And what it will do is it will have a look at the, the makeup DNA of your password in terms of characters and that kind of thing. And it will tell you how many years it would take for one of those bots to actually... Oh, really? That's interesting. 
So mine's like 300,000 centuries or something stupid like that. Right? But we, what, what do you use, Adrian? Um, yeah, it's Andy Atkinson. <laughs> <is. laughs> um, I'll give you, I'll tell you, what, I won't tell you what it is, but I'll tell you how, the, the technique that I use. My mum used to sing a nursery rhyme. It's a, it's a line from a nursery rhyme that I thought was quite common, but it turned out that she just made it up, basically. <laughs> so it's it's three it's three lines from that. Um, three, I'm saying three lines on shirt then. Three lines from from that um, from that nursery rhyme she made up. I changed some of them to like capital letters and a number in yeah. that kind of thing. And you know, three random words is 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 actually probably the best thing that you can do. But you know what? I tested my password that I had for LinkedIn. Considering I've worked for education, I've worked in FCA, I've worked for the police. I tried my password that got attacked in LinkedIn data breach, and it would have taken about two days to breach that. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. wow. So a compromised, on average, a compromised email and username and password on the, on the internet. I read this recently. Nowadays, with the technology that hackers have, and they buy this off the shelf, this stuff, you know, this is not sophisticated. It's six hours. They actually tested it. They put, they put an email um, and password out into the dark web. It got bought, tested, and the account was hacked within six, six hours of purchase. Yeah, that was scary. I'm going to get changed with passwords now. Yeah, I always yeah. used to think, you know, that you see those things that they're called. Does it sort of like password manager or something? And you put all your passwords yeah. in it so you don't forget. And then I think to myself, what happens if they get hacked? <laughs> well, <laughs> injury, that, that has happened recently. <laughs> <laughs> so I was glad I didn't do it. You do it all. Someone said to me, oh, well, there's this really good thing, and you can put all your passwords in. I thought, well, that's quite hard. And then I thought, actually, that's rubbish because all my passwords are now in one place. So well, if that thing gets hacked, I've lost all my passwords. To be fair to them, that if you go to the reputable one, you should be all right. But there are a lot of like, you know, mm-hmm. we do this now for one pound a year. Or I whatever. suppose it'd be a great support. scam, wouldn't it? You set up your own password protection company, get everybody's password, oh. flog them, yeah. and off you go. It's, it's also like a breach of the Computer Misuse Act. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, those people won't care because they'll be based in like somewhere yeah. you'll never find them. It is a minefield yeah, yeah. As, a, as, a, as a topic. Wow. You know, I know, I know kind of it comes under this broad umbrella of GDPR, but I think just privacy and data and how to cope and deal with it and how <coughs> to train people. It's a, it's a huge area. And, and genuinely, you bring light to it. You, and I think a lot of it is it's stories, isn't it? You know, you, you kind of share your message through telling stories that, that engages people because it's an important topic, but because it's not sexy and interesting, people don't want to spend much time dwelling on it and thinking about it. But it can be costly yeah. if you don't. The thing that right? struck me that, you know, I, I know that it wasn't 20,000 people and, okay, there wasn't much on that medical questionnaire. But one, I'm stunned that someone did that. And that says that either someone didn't know what they were attaching or didn't know how the – and it's just a real simple one that you sort of assume, don't you, sometimes that people know what they're going to attach. And then if they don't know, they, they attach the wrong thing. And, and it's just a how many? You know, there'll be dentists who'll watch this and listen to this and they'll go, oh, that's ridiculous. Hmm. That's never going to happen. And the answer is – it does happen. Yeah. It does I happen. I haven't done that, but I, I've sent an email to the wrong person. Yeah. You know, even in my data protection career, thankfully it wasn't that bad. It was embarrassing, horrifically embarrassing. Yeah. But now, when I send an email, I, I feel like I'm diffusing a bomb. Mm. And the thing is, well, I have to check. Obviously, I check my, my spelling and grammar and that kind of thing through Grammarly, thank goodness. Um, um, but then I, I check who am I sending it to? 
Mm. Um, I've got a few domains. So am I sending from the right email address as well? Yeah. Um, what have I actually attached? Let's go back and just open it again, just yeah, to make yeah, sure that I've, you know, I haven't just picked it because it's that the most final, recent. That final recent check. Thing. Yeah, that final yeah. check that you've got it, yeah. you've got it right. If oh. you can embed in your practice a culture of check before you send, a five-second check could save us thousands of pounds because the average compensation claim for a medical data breach is about is between three and a half and five thousand pounds. That's a lot, isn't you know? it? Yeah, I, so, I think to be honest with you, that check before you send. I think if 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 people just did that, you imagine how many issues. And this applies to anybody and everybody, mm. doesn't it? You know, if we, you need if, a if we slogan, all did that, don't you? and like you say, at the very best end, it saves some embarrassment by sending an email to the wrong person, and at, and at the worst end, it, it's it saved a, a mm. serious, you know, data privacy breach. Mm. Yeah, and it, and it keeps every if you if you can have that habit within within yourself as you know mm. as a professional as a private individual that kind of thing, it's it's it's, it's not that big of a big of a pain. No. You know, it's it's for me now. I, I do it without even thinking about. It. Every now and then, I have a bit of a flashback when you know I I did send that email to the wrong mm. person. But that's but that's think, the power of consistency, mm. isn't it? If you just mm. do it's it every not single the, it's time, it's not just the money, is it? Though it's the, um, as you said, you know, the first reaction is emotional. You know, you got the emotional stress yes. of you've done something wrong, and then what might happen? You might lose your practice, or you know, yeah, I know by the sounds of things that that's an overreaction, but you end up with. Not only is it going to cost you physical cash, <laughs> but it's going to cost you emotional it? cost it's and yeah. actual physical time cost to resolve something that, as you say, yeah. check before you send. Five seconds. Is it really the right thing? Have I, I think yours is a great one, as you say, Adrian, is that, you know, I've just attached, have I actually attached just the last file or did I really attach the right file? And yeah. have a look, open it, see what it says. It's quite yeah. interesting. Here's, here's one, Chris. This happens all the time. Um, well, I say all the time. It's happened three or four times this year. I've had a phone call of a data breach like this, and I felt ever so sorry for the receptionist, right? And put yourself in the position of the receptionist. They clicked on a blank, what they think is a blank medical history form, right? It comes up on Adobe, looks blank. They've checked it. They've done the right thing. They closed it. But the thing with Adobe, sometimes if you've got information that's, that's written over that, overlaid over it, it takes a few seconds to generate. So they clicked on what they think is blank, then they've closed it, then they've sent out an actual free build one. So, you know, sometimes the tech's against us, you know. So just, I think, just open it up, give it a few seconds, just know what it is, get the right systems. Yeah, we only use, that's definitely the blank one, never overwrite of it, blah, blah, blah. These sorts of things. Is, will it still happen? Yes, but you're mitigating that risk. And if you've Mm. got the training there and that sort of thing, and it comes to the IC, ICO go to it, they'll say, look, this is a one-off. Heck, the ICO have caused uh, three data breaches in their communications to me. So they do it, right? If you listen to ICO, I'm really sorry I told you that. But, it's, <laughs> nice. um, but the thing is, it's so easy, it's so easily done. I mean, that was nothing, you know, it was like what well, some person's name, yeah. you know, it's, it was it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm not gonna cause a hoo-ha about mm. it. But the the thing is, is that you know, it's if you can if you can be in front of the judge, and you can say actually in our practice we have annual training. We every every um, practice management or practice meeting we raise the importance of data protection. We have a check before you send policy in the practice. This is a one off, Your Honour, mm-hmm. and you feel comfortable mm-hmm. with that. 
then that's what it is. If it's a if it's a case which most practices we haven't done training for three years, we've mm. actually lost. We've actually got all new staff. Mm. You know. Mm. I think, that, I think that final piece is, is nice and I, I feel I should almost wrap up with the don't have nightmares, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that thing, isn't it? They they are rare and most people are trying to do the, the right thing. And what you said is right in that I think if you're able to demonstrate that you have systems, you do train your people, but we are fallible and we made a mistake. You mm. would hope that the authorities would go, okay, well, yeah, don't do it again. What are you going to put in place to make sure that yeah, this, yeah. this can't happen again? And they kind of work with you because people don't set out to to fail. They don't set out to cause these problems, do they? Mm. It's, 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 it's about how you how and you the ICA must look. I mean, I don't know. They must look at the fact of you know you're a dentist or a small business who has limited resources and you're doing your best, as opposed to someone like I don't know. I think did BA get fined for a big data breach or something? Yeah, you know? and and they're a massive company handling yeah. millions of pe- people's data and stuff like that so they really should have policies and processes and systems in place so I- I'd imagine the ICO sort of looks at it and says look you know you're little blokey so I'm going to give you uh, a bit of a hard time but actually as long as you're showing you're your, your doing an effort whereas mm. you boys you've been doing this with data so therefore I'm going to give you teach you a lesson that will hopefully resonate around the market that says data is really important and yeah. handle it properly I'd agree that definitely the only thing I would say, and just that this is quite a sobering thing probably just to end up on, is the very and this this I will have a do don't have nightmares bit at the end of this. The first GDPR fine in the ICO was a small healthcare organization, the same size as dental practice, and they were fined two hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds. So it's going through the courts at the moment as part of an appeal process. Wow. And to be honest, you know, they didn't cooperate with the ICO, they didn't say the right things, they were trying to hide stuff, or you know, uh. it's their own, it's their own fault. To be honest, but the thing is, the thing to remember: if you're, if you're a dental practice owner, practice manager listening to this, or associate thing about your practice, whatever thing about buying a practice or getting a squat, you got to remember that the ICO and the fines and that kind of thing is just one portion. In fact, I don't even think about the fines. But just remember, the ICO don't understand the value of data in dentistry. They don't understand what level of sensitivity it has compared to maybe a cancer or mental health trust or that kind of thing. So often when I'm dealing with ICO investigations, a lot of it is me educating the investigation officer about how data actually works in dentistry. And afterwards, they're often like, oh, okay, well, that's not so bad, I suppose, in this case. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, that's it's, not, you know, it's still not great, but you have to be able to frame it. And, you know, that's where my sort of experience comes in. Mm. Um, and, and off the back of that as well is that it might seem a little bit scary when you hear about the ICO, but also be aware that the, the data subject, whether that's a disgruntled member, ex-member of staff or a patient, whatever it might be, they often are trying to weaponize GDPR. They put in data breach mm. compensation and seeing how much money they could possibly get. And a lot of it is just, it's just rubbish. It's, it's, they, they, they haven't met the threshold of seriousness for compensation. So don't, it could be though, <laughs> but just remember that just because something goes wrong, you're not going to get hit by a 20 million euro fine or 70 million pounds, whatever, whatever the equivalent is or go to prison or that kind of, those things could happen, but don't feel that you're being backed into a corner because it's a case by case, mm-hmm. you know, and often it's not that, that you have to be very careful how you frame it, put things in writing, that kind of stuff, because <laughs> you'll be judged on that. 
Yeah, and that's where I, I, I come in. That's, that's been brilliant, Ada. It's been really useful. He's an expert. I think well, I was going to say, I think he's an expert. It's you know, uh, run your business in the best way possible. Um, make sure you're training your team. You've got good systems. Mm. Don't hide. Um, Don't pretend it. Didn't yeah, happen. yeah. You kind of don't go missing. Don't go missing. It's been it's been enlightening. It's been it's, yeah, been, it's been brilliant. It's been really good. So we always Thanks, ask our, our guests two questions when we get to the end. And uh, the first question we always ask is if you could be a fly on the wall in a situation, where would you like to have been and, and seen a scenario unfold? So this is a very difficult question. And I, you know what I did is I thought I'm going to wait until the literally just before you we started this to think what what's my gut reaction. And I'm a massive, massive, might surprise you, Frank Sinatra fan, huge, of a particular era between 1958 and 1968. Okay. That's my, my Is this your mastermind subject? Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> here's my wife got me. Answer. My wife got me an original print of it. One of my favorite. You can see my ring light there. Look, yeah, yeah, it's at um Cycles by Frank Sinatra. Incredible album, one of my favorites. And Basically, you think nowadays it takes months, don't they, to have all these different producers and tech yeah. and this kind of Sinatra literally walked into an orchestra. They gave him a list of songs because he didn't write his own songs, you know, list of songs and covers and stuff for him to do. He's there smoking, drinking whiskey. He's got a girl on his arm, does it, has a, has a load of drinks for the band, walks out on one of the best albums ever been created. Well, he's doing in one city. Sorry, yeah, just pretty much. One city. Wow. Pretty much, yeah. You see it on the on the. You can read it on the back of the on the back of the album. Yeah. So to be a fly on the wall with that, to listen to that live because it was the biggest orchestra that he'd ever sung with, and you can really tell that um, in in the in the on the LP is would have just been amazing. Amazing. Wow. So, so, so my follow up question, and, and and there might be a link here, is if you could <laughs> if you could meet somebody, um, fictional, non fictional, living, no longer with us, who 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 would you meet if you were given the opportunity? Would it be Frank? Um, I would. Oh, no, actually, <laughs> I think it would be Johnny Cash. Oh, oh, Johnny. In his last sort of five years, when he was doing like when um, Hurts came out, Nine Inch Nails, American albums, you know, I think that would have been what a phenomenal life he had. I was going to say Jim Morrison, but he probably wouldn't, you know, who knows what he'd be on. That could be a wild afternoon. Yeah, that would be a wild afternoon with Jim Morrison, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I think I think it would be Johnny Cash. Um, but obviously, music's a big part of your life. Yeah, yeah, definitely helped helped me through some bad times and good times. So, yeah, yeah. definitely music related with those. Adrian, it's been an absolute blast. Yeah, it's been fabulous. Thank yeah, you. I've, I've really, I must admit, given the subject, I was dreading it. To be blunt, um, I thought it was going to be really boring. I thought it was going to be a horrendous hour, but you've brought some real light to it. So yeah. I'm grateful oh, for that. Yeah. And that light's shining brightly. I didn't even turn my iPad <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry if I've been too. I should have covered it. Yeah, I can see you now. <laughs> yeah, well, any, any reviews of people say, I thought it was going to be, be horrendous, but it wasn't. It's fine with it. <laughs> Perhaps no, that should be your strap line. <laughs> no, yeah. honestly, I was, I, was, I was looking forward to it because I think it's one of those areas, isn't it, where it gets. It's 
overlooked. And I think quite often in life, those things that are important, we don't necessarily pay attention to the extent we should. And when we do, it's too late. It's that classic, the horse has bolted mentality. And I hope by sharing this message and people listening to this, they might say, make some tweaks and adjustments to their own business or how they manage their own data. And it mm. keeps them safer. And this podcast is about sharing that knowledge, helping people improve their business. Mm. But, you know, doing it in a light-hearted way, and I think we've achieved that. It's a way today. to de-stress, isn't it? You know, look yes. at any of this stuff. Is yeah. Like, how can I – it's hard enough running a business. So the more you can do to take away the pressure points where you will get stress is yeah. got to be a result. Yeah. And, you know, this is one that is probably the massively underlooked part of yeah. running a business. People just don't think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's about, I think with anything in dentistry, I mean, I know as well, if I'm, if I'm helping a client who's, it, it may not even be data protection related, but something goes, and they go, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Like, well, I know someone. Yeah. I know someone that could be able to help you out with this. And I think, that, you know, this podcast and lots of other initiatives that are going on at the moment through social media, it's brilliant because we get to know who these people are. So I'm very, very, um, privilege to be here I very much appreciate well, thank it you, appreciate Adrian. your time it's been really we good. do it's been fabulous yeah super like, look after cool. yourself fella no doubt we'll be speaking soon thanks so much lovely thanks cheers, cheers take care. keep well cheers Ta-da. what a brilliant chat with Adrian. that was fabulous really yeah. good I think he's got he's got a topic that is important it's as dry as the beach it is it's important but it's not interesting but he brings it to life with colour and, and stories. But I think the thing that for me, and, and, and he said, just check the email before you send it. Yeah. yeah. And we've all been in a simple situation where we sent an email to the wrong person. And he just said, just before you send it, stop, you know, what's it about? Who are you sending it to? And have you attached the right document? Yeah. And I think we could all learn a massive thing from like, that. Just before you hit send, just stop. Yeah. I was stunned by that. Yeah, well, you probably got it. That thing with the uh, sending out the medical questionnaire, yeah, someone's medical questionnaire to your patient list. Yeah, I mean, uh, it just defies because oh. you think, how did someone do that? But the answer is they did do mm. it, which either is a failure of process, a failure of training, or whatever. Yeah. But that is such a simple oh, thing to he, not and he's to avoid. About training was more important than the systems, and that's a classic one where for whatever reason that something went wrong yeah. but it's they're good things like that to to highlight because it could happen to any of us you know we all think that we're infallible but the reality is you know yeah. humans make mistakes and also i think the fact for, for me is uh, you know anyone who has a practice who needs gdp who needs to understand gdpr then they need to talk and okay i know we don't promote the mm. people but i don't really know anyone else you know you need to talk to adrian yeah. because ultimately He's going to keep you safe. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you shouldn't only talk to Adrian when it goes wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do something to stop yeah. it going wrong. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a really good lesson. Really 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 I, I think people have saved a lot from that. Yeah, really brilliant. Good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.